following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I hope you're excited about what God is doing in your life. God is doing some great things. He is called the living God for a reason. He's the living God. And we're not here for uh, religion or pay tribute to God. We are here to experience God, to celebrate God, to meet with God, not only through worship, but through the word and through his people. And historically, when you look at the church, God has been meeting his people through the word and through worship times of communion, times of fellowship. God has been meeting his people. And I believe he wants to meet us today. And I want to talk to you a little bit about um, a really key part of our life, what you and I have to do with the next step of what I believe God wants to do, not only in your life, but in this church and in this city. And that's revival. Revival. We are contending for revival. We're not here to just have meetings or show up and go through a ritual. We are contending for God and crying out for God to show up among us in such a tangible way that it will not only change us forever, but it will change this city forever. And we're not alone. There are others around this city praying the same prayer, asking God to show up. We really, truly sense God is calling us to be a revival generation to be the kind of people that say, God, we know you're the living God and our city needs you. There's people all around us that need you, but God, it's not just going to be a, a doctrine or theology. It's going to be the truth of your present day reality, that you are the living God and you are among us. And when people see that, that is an indicator that revival is happening and people are waking up to the reality of the living God. And so we want to be in sync with Jesus and in step with the Holy Spirit to participate with God in revival. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts, courtesans that are completely his. And when God looks down and he sees hearts that are his, he gets behind them and he supports them. And that's what revival is. God looking down at a group of people who say, God, we're not perfect, but we're yours. Have your way among us. God looks for people like that. And throughout history, he has found people like that. And whenever he would find people like that, you can look at revivals throughout the the history of Christianity and it's people saying, here am I, God, send me. And God looking down saying, I can strongly support you. Uh, Now here's the deal. If we want to truly welcome, truly welcome a move of God like this, if we want to truly welcome a move of the Holy Spirit. What is our part in that? What is our part in welcoming a move of the Holy Spirit? Personally, you and I have to take things out of the way that would hinder a move of the Holy Spirit. And there are plenty of things the Bible would say that hinder a move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, When Jesus came and was coming on the scene and John the Baptist was preaching and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and the spirit of God is on him and he changes the world right before that happened John the Baptist is like hey clear the way (laughs) make straight paths make straight paths for the king revival's coming the king is coming make straight paths get things out of the way anything that's crooked bent distorted get straighten it up as much as it's up to you and God will do the rest I believe it's the same thing in our lives. As we're crying out to God for revival, as we're expecting God to show up, 
in our lives in powerful ways and change the city, there's things that, that we need to do. Now, Jesus summed it up pretty simple. He goes, if, if you only understand one thing about how to be right in your heart, it's this. And he said, love God and love others, right? Real simple. The Pharisees were making it real complicated. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. Now, how many of you would agree it's easier to love God than love others? A little more honesty in God's house. Absolutely. How many of you would say, how many of you guys have a pet, an animal at home? How many would say it's easier to love your pet than it would be to love your neighbor? It's kind of true sometimes. Why is that? Why is it easier to love your pet, especially if you've got a dog, because dogs are awesome. You know, cats, a little different. They're like, you know, I, I deserve this. You owe me, you know, a little, little bit. Sorry for you cat lovers. But dogs are amazing. You come home, you're like, you're the coolest person in the whole world. I'm so glad you're home. You're awesome. You know, even if you forget to feed them for an hour or two, it's like, all right, I forgive you. You're still awesome. I mean, dogs are great. You know, you can walk out and go for a walk around the block and it's like, oh, you're back again. You thought you left me. I mean, they love you. They are so unconditional. It's easy to love them. It's easy to love them. They don't take anything personal. Do you notice that? Dogs don't take anything personal. Doesn't matter what happened, they'll still come up to you. It's like, I'm sorry I upset you. I still love you. I'll do anything to be in right relationship with you. You're awesome. People, not so much. People, not so much. It's easy to love God. It's easy to love our animals. It's not always easy to love others. And that's because relationships take work. Relationships take work. There's, there's things. Sometimes there's bumps and there's friction over time and there's things that we got to work out in relationships. It's not always easy and it's not always easy to stay unconditional. But I will tell you, we're looking at a passage today and I think this is a key component of how you and I prepare for revival to invite God in. God's got something to say on this matter and it has to do with how we get along with each other specifically in what God calls the family of believers. God calls his church a few things. We're called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're called the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. So he loves us and he's jealous for us. The Bible also calls us the family of believers. Never cease doing good, especially for the family of believers. God calls us a family of believers. And because God looks down at us as a family, how we get along with one another and how we work things out and how we keep the peace is monumentally important for God. In fact, it is a condition uh, that we need to have for the Spirit of God to move among us. So God put this on my heart. I wanted to share it with you this morning. If you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 1 through 6. And this kind of gives us the recipe. This gives us God's solution for Um, how we need to be with one another in an environment where God is pleased and where God shows up in in a noteworthy way, where he is present and he's really just pleased with his church. And and it it just points some things out specifically with the challenges we might have as a family of believers, just like the challenges you might have in your own family or in a workplace or in a neighborhood. All relationships have their challenges over time. And and let's see what uh, Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll break it down. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In fact, you might want to underline that in your Bible. We're going to come back to that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. He, he says here, like, since you have acknowledged Jesus, God has a high calling on your life and mine. Once we were not children of God, but through what Jesus did, to as many that would receive him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. Everyone is not born a child of God. We become children of God through what Jesus did. When you accept what Jesus did for you personally, that's when you get adopted into God's family. And so... As children of God, as a family of believers, we have this high calling. And, and he says, this is what it's based on. There's only one Lord. We all serve the same Lord. And this is true of Christianity. One Lord, there's one Holy Spirit. We have one faith and we are in one body. There's one body of Christ. That's the church of Jesus Christ globally. There's one body of Christ. And when you look at the body of Christ, you can look at it a few, few different ways. And we'll look at this more next week. But there's the, the body of Christ in the world, the believers in the world. Believers in this city, in the book of, Ephesus, uh, book of Revelation, Paul wrote letters to different cities, and he was talking about the church, the body, the family of believers in each city, and then also in the local church, like right here, this family of believers right here. But he is stressing this unity part. He's, extra- he's stressing the peace and the unity among believers as such a powerful priority. And I just want to ask you this morning, When you think about your own personal walk with God, how are you doing with keeping the peace? How are you doing in this unity area? Because it's a big deal to God. (laughs) And we don't always think it's that big of a deal, but I'm just telling you it's a big deal to God. And as we unpack this, you're going to see that this matters a lot to the heart of God. And if you and I are going to uh, make straight paths for God to move among us. This is something we have to get down a little bit, uh, spe- specifically because there's relationships in the kingdom of God and the family of believers. And over time, things are tested and there could be bumps and bruises and rubs up against each other. And we have to find ways to keep the peace and the bond of peace through the unity of the Holy Spirit. It matters a lot more than you may think. Again, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This tells me, and we see this thesis throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit wants a united people. The church is the bride. He doesn't want a divided bride. He wants a united bride. He wants a united body of Christ. He wants a a united family of believers. If you're a parent and your children don't get along, you know how much that breaks your heart. Any parents in the room? You got kids? Is that true? But when your kids get along, yes, it's awesome. It's awesome. Your kids are playing together, you know, helping each other. It's awesome. But when they're not, it's grievous. Why? God put that in you. God put that in you because he wants you to know his heart. That's the way he looks at the family of believers. When there's unity, when there's a bond of peace, he's like, wow, I can do great things. This is great. And when there's not, 
And we see it all through Scripture. The Spirit of God wants unity. Unity is a component. It's a, it's a, it, it's a union of His people. But the devil, the devil wants division. The devil goes around seeking to devour who he may. The devil always divides in order to conquer. He divides in order to conquer. You can look at that in any area of your life. You can look at it in the workplace, the neighborhood, your own family. You can look at it in a marriage. You can look at it in the beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are apart. He's like, perfect time for this. I'm going to divide and I'm going to conquer. Not going to do this when they're together. I'm going to get them alone. I'm going to divide and I'm going to conquer. Eve's away from Adam. Okay, this is going to be easier. Hey, Eve, psst, hey. And this is where it starts. The enemy has done this for ages. He knows divide is the way to conquer. Jesus said a house divided doesn't stand. And he was talking in the context of the devil is the context he was talking about. You read what comes before his statement He's talking about the devil and the devil, what he does, a house divided. So this is saying basically that the spirit of God really desires a unity, but the devil, we do know, uh, wants a divided church. He always does that. He does that with families. He does that with friends. You might be able to look back at some train wrecks that you're aware of, maybe in your own life or people you love, and you can point back and go, yep, the devil got in there. He divided, all right. That was the devil back then. And you can look at the rest of the things that have happened. Why? Because that's what he does. He divides to conquer. This passage, though, is given us a recipe of how we overcome. This passage has given us a recipe of how we live in a blessable way that the Spirit of God will show up, that we can have this bond of peace. He's talking about a bond. You know, things can either be frozen together or they can be melted together. And when things are melted together, by the living God. Hearts are melted together for the cause and purpose and the glory of God. Watch out. There's radical things that can happen. Um, so in this passage, it's, it's telling us some of the characteristics that, we, that he's asking us to aim for. And some of these we understand pretty well. He says, um, listen, be humble and gentle and patient with one another. Now, that's not always easy to do, but we do understand what it means to be humble and gentle and patient. And first off, you have to know that you can't make this stuff up on your own. You don't have enough love in your life to give away, nor do I. You do not have enough forgiveness in your life to give away, nor do I. You don't have enough humility and gentleness and patience in your life to give away, nor do I. And that's why we have to go to God and get filled with his power and his love and his presence so we can do this stuff. This isn't just about behave better or just try to get along better. This is sit at the feet of Jesus and get filled so you can live this kind of way as a son and daughter in his family. Does that make sense? This isn't just behave yourself better. The Pharisees were trying to do that for 2,000 years. It didn't get them too far. It's not just modify your behavior or do better or try harder. It's sit with Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. And whoever is forgiven much loves much. And we start to have an outflow of his life through us. And this is where we, we get to, to, to put on these qualities or these natures um, or fruits even of the Holy Spirit. But humble and gentle and patient, we understand those. But the next one that it talks about here, we don't often understand too well. Uh, and it says in the passage that we are to bear with one another, to bear with one another, um, 
to bear with one another. In the Greek, to bear with uh, literally means to put up with, to endure, (laughs) and to even suffer. And you're thinking, wait, (laughs) it's one thing to be humble and gentle and patient. Are you telling me I have to put up with people? I have to endure them? And I've got to suffer through the relationship? Yes, you do. As a son or daughter of the Most High God, yes, you do. Just like in your own personal family. If you have someone at the family holiday meal, has anybody got anyone at the family meal? In-law, outlaw, something? (laughs) At the family meal, that's a little harder to put up with, endure, or suffer through. But you do it because it's your family. Amen? It's your family. You have to do it. It's right to do it. And in the family of believers, even more importantly that we do it as a prerequisite for the Spirit of God to move among us. And so uh, it literally means to put up with, endure, and suffer. And if you ask anybody, does anyone in the room have the gift of putting up with, enduring, and suffer? And everyone's like, nope, that's not my gift. You know who has that gift? Your pet has that gift. If you have a dog, your dog has that gift to put up and endure. They put up with us. They expect nothing in return. They don't take offense. They're not easily angered, right? But people are. And so this is important. God's trying to show us something here. Um, We interact with others, and the way we do it is so important. And the way you and I handle disruptions when they come up is so important. Our level of forbearance, or what is your tipping point? What does it take to tip you? What does it take to capsize your boat? What does it take to do that? What's your level of forbearance? You know, we use this term called IQ. What is your IQ? Uh, IQ means your intelligence quotient. That's the term. IQ is an abbreviation for intelligence quotient. And the average uh, human being, the the average uh, IQ is 100. 100 is average. Einstein, who was like a brainiac, um, he was up around 160, up in that area. Average person is around 100. That's your intelligence quotient. Quotient. That's your ability to solve problems, work through things, uh, ability to learn, your capacity to absorb and figure out and reason. But there's another term that's been coined uh, more recently, and it's not IQ, it's EQ. And we're not talking about your car stereo, not that kind of EQ. Instead of your intelligence quotient, it's your emotional quotient, your capacity to handle emotions. Capacity to handle emotions. And this is an area where some are strong and some are not so strong. But everyone in this room has a different IQ and a different EQ. And a high IQ will not necessarily have you any closer to Jesus. Do you realize that? A high IQ will not necessarily have you any closer to Jesus, but... A high EQ will. A high EQ will allow you to walk much closer to Jesus. Why is that? Because spiritually, you have this temperament with your emotions where your emotions are tempered and you're not easily angered and you're able to navigate storms. Things like what James 1.9 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Somebody 
who's spiritually tempered, who has a high emotional IQ, can do that. They can go through a challenge or a disruption and breathe and settle down and not respond. But somebody who doesn't, even if they have an incredibly high IQ, they don't necessarily, they're not able to do that. Something like that will tip their boat. It'll capsize their boat quickly. Does that make sense? It's so important, our emotional uh, quotient, how we navigate these things. And the Bible um, is, is saying that when, when, we're, uh, when you look at the story of the Bible, we are body and soul and spirit. And, and when you come to Jesus, spiritually, spiritually, you're made alive again. And the Spirit of God lives in you. And now the Spirit of God wants to direct our lives. Instead of being directed by our flesh, telling our mind, will, and emotions what to do, and our spirit just going along for the ride, not anymore. In Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, amen? In Christ, what happens is the Spirit now reigns in our life, the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit of God now is forming as we're being transformed into His image, as we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, The Spirit of God wants us to modify. He wants to mold and shape our mind, will, and emotions. That our old nature goes away and we start walking in a new nature. The Bible calls it the new creation or the new man, that the old is gone. Uh, The Bible says that we don't want to walk in the carnal man anymore, which was the other way where it was our flesh and then our soul, mind, will, and emotions, then our spirit. Does that make sense? That's the old way, the carnal man. The new way is the Spirit of God leading us, showing our mind, will, and emotions how we should live, what's good and what's beneficial, and our body saying, I get it, I'm following. I'm following because God is leading instead of the other way around. So many people in this world live the other way around, but as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we're called to live the other way. We're called to live with a spiritual uh, clarity and a direction that our emotions are, are tempered our emotions, that we actually grow in our emotional quotient or in our spiritual EQ, for lack of better words. Um, There was a man uh, driving his car to work, and he was late. And all of a sudden, this lady in front of him breaks down. And uh, he's angry, he's late, and he starts hitting the horn. And this lady's over there just trying to get that thing cranked up and started. He's even getting more angry because he's even later. He starts just laying laying on this horn. So the lady very gently gets out of her car as he's beeping the horn and walks over to his window and says very gently to him, I have a good idea. Why don't I sit in here and beep the horn while you go and try to start the car? (laughs) The lady had a, a whole lot more spiritual EQ than he did. A whole lot more spiritual EQ. And sometimes, and sometimes, it's easy to point out a problem but it's hard to have the solution, amen? And I think we can all do that. We can all do that. We can even all do that in the church. We can even do that in the family of believers. And it happened even in the Bible, even the apostles, they're, they're walking with Jesus, they're washing feet and they're raising the dead. They're doing all kinds of stuff and then pretty soon they're arguing, who's greater? I'm greater. No, you're not, I am. Oh yeah, I'm in a better seat than you are. No, you're not, why should you? Because I'm his buddy. We hang out more than you do. And there's all this stuff going on. You're like, what's going on with that? That's apostles. It happens in the church. We just have to remember to be tempered this way. We have to uh, remember to be tempered. Remember what this verse is telling us in verse three. And again, I hope you have it underlined. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The bond is 
The Spirit of God wants to wrap us together in some ways. It doesn't mean we like every style together. It doesn't mean we think the same in everything. God made us a diversity of people with different gifts and talents and resources, different aims and directions, but we don't major in the minors anymore. We major in the majors, amen? The majors are that Jesus is the king. His word is real. It's alive. It's true. And his spirit is presently among us. And we believe that Jesus said, now you guys go ye therefore and go tell others. And you go do what I did. We believe that and we want to walk that out. These are the majors. And if we agree on these things, there's a bond of peace. But what will we let rock that bond of peace? Will we, be, will we be like the guy in the car hitting the horn? Come on here, I'm late. Or we, will we be like the lady who says, I'm sorry, excuse me. Do you want to you switch seats for a minute? That's really up to us. It's a disposition of our heart. Here's God's way of doing it. It says um, in, in Galatians, it says this in Galatians 5, God's way is to be, and, and the Bible uses words like this. Since we're talking about keeping the peace and unity, uh, here's some of the, the mindsets that come up that God desires, the heart conditions, the things that the Spirit of God wants to do in our life. The Bible uses terms like being sober-minded, sober-minded. Uh, it uses terms like being self-controlled. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't have anything to do with IQ. It has everything to do with your spiritual EQ, your spiritual emotional quotient, how tempered you are. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're staying in step with the Holy Spirit, then this becomes an outflow. You don't have to create it. It's an outflow of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. Um, Self-controlled. Another word it uses is sound. Another word it uses is steadfast. These are all dispositions of our heart. When we're walking with God, when we're truly walking with Jesus, when we're staying in step with the Holy Spirit, The Bible also has some other words it uses in Galatians 5 when we're not walking with God. And these are some of the terms it uses. It uses words like strife, strife, discord, jealousy, fits of anger or rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and factions. Now he's writing to the church. He's writing to the church here. He says in the church... In the spirit, if we do it the spirit's way as sons and daughters of God, that there is a sober-mindedness, a self-controlled, sound and steadfast. But if we're not doing it the spirit's way, he's saying, there's words like strife, discord, jealousy, fits of anger or rage, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, and factions. And by the way, the word discord means disagreement. And in relationships, disagreements come up all the time, except for with your dog. I'm sure you don't have a lot of disagreements with your dog. And that's why it's so unconditional. Everyone gets along great. But in life, in life we do. With family, with friends, in the workplace, in the church, there, there'll be disagreements coming up. That's okay. They're supposed to. But how will you and I handle them? Will we lay on the horn? What are we going to do? We're going to walk back and talk to someone? We're going to walk away and talk to others about it? What are we going to do when a disagreement happens? So the Bible gives us some of these recipes for when there is conflict in the family in any kind of way. Uh, and you can apply these to your, to your life in many levels, in your home, on the workplace, in your neighborhood. But specifically, he's writing these about the church. Um, when there's a conflict, the number one prescription, according to the Word of God, is, 
Instead of getting angry and complaining, the Bible says do everything without grumbling and complaining. That's the word. The Bible doesn't say we have license to. It says do everything without grumbling and complaining. So when we have a disagreement, and if they do come up, the Bible says instead of getting angry or instead of spreading it to others, you go to the person. This is the word of God. Now, I have seen again and again and again, when it's not done this way, things getting way spun out of control and worse. Has anybody ever seen that? Um, God's got a recipe for this stuff. He's the father. He's a, he loves us. Um, he loves us and we're his children. And so he understands what it takes to, to have the bond of peace in his family. And he gives us a prescription. But instead of getting angry or spreading it around to others, we've got to deal directly. And if we don't, if we don't, if we say, I don't feel like it, if we say, I don't want to, this is what happens, it says in Galatians. It's either this way of the spirit or the way of the flesh. These are the two ways. And when you do it the spirit's way, uh, anything can be worked out with grace and humility. But if you do it the other way, it says it uses terms like rivalries. Rivalries are, they're groups that oppose or compete against each other. That's what a rivalry is. Teams, sports teams that play against, it's a rivalry. They just want to win. They want, to, they want the other team to lose and they want to win. That's what a rivalry is. If we don't do it God's way, there's rivalries. Another term is factions. Uh, a faction, it literally means in the Greek like a splinter group. Does that make sense? Like a break off a little splinter group? That's what a faction is. God's like, you do it my way, this is what you get. You do it the other way, this is what comes out. Um, he uses terms like causes divisions, which is really... There's a unity in the Holy Spirit, in a fellowship, in any fellowship, even in a home, and a division breaks that fellowship. A division breaks the fellowship, just like a divorce breaks the fellowship of a family, you know, and, and it does it in a church, it does it in a relationship, it does it in a, so this, these are some of the things when we don't handle it God's way. But Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, it's love and joy and peace and that golden word forbearance, once again, to put up with, to tolerate, to deal with, to suffer under. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, once again, is I'm going to be tempered in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have a spiritual EQ and not flip out about something. I'm going to be settled. Does that make sense? This is what the word's saying. Self-control, fruits of the spirits. Against such things, there is no law. So once again, make every effort to keep the peace through the bond of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share four things if you're a note taker this morning, just to summarize some of these, some of these points. Um, if you want to be a peacemaker, a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, if you want to be the one, not like the guy in the car hitting the horn, getting all bent out of shape because he's late and he's got a good reason for it. If you want to be like the lady, you can get out quietly, walk back, speak calmly and speak life into a situation. The first one is this. Keep one in the Holy Spirit through the uniting principle of peace. The bond of peace is this uniting principle of peace. To know that God cares more about the peace than he does about the issue. And usually the issues that we have, by the way, have a lot to do with preference or style, not sin. Not sin. They usually have to do with preference or style or someone's idea or someone's feelings, not sin. 
And so most things that clash along the way have to do with, well, I thought, or you should have, or I thought maybe, or things like that. It's usually not flat out sin. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It it usually is that way. But to keep the oneness in the Holy Spirit through the uniting principle of peace, because the Spirit of God would say, I don't care what the disagreement is. There's a way to work through it. Don't break the bond of peace. This is what the Spirit of God's saying. But the devil says, no, divide to conquer. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a, such an important reality for us to hold on to. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, um, if you're struggling with someone, and I know we don't do this with our pets because our pets just love us and they're so cool and they, you know, they just think we're awesome, but people take offense to things. People take offense to you, they take offense to me. Maybe we take offense to them. It happens. It's part of life. And when that happens, we've got to be careful because this heart of ours will start to change, won't it? This heart is everything, guys. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This heart is really important. The condition of your heart is so, so important in the kingdom of God. It is so much more important than knowledge and IQ, your heart condition uh, for God, for loving God, and for loving others. If you find your heart is getting hard towards somebody, here's the second point this morning, is ask God to change your heart about that person. Literally ask them. Don't even dance around it or ignore it or walk the other way. If you're having a struggle with somebody and you're really, you're telling there's some collateral damage now and, and, and there's anything, ask God, God, would you change my heart for that person? I've done that before and God has changed my heart. He's let me see different things or give me a different perspective or a fresh start in a relationship. I, I highly encourage you, ask God, change my heart for that person, God. Somebody who's difficult for you. Remember forbearance is that word of the, pre- the stress and got to put up with and suffer under? Ask God, change my heart for them, God. And watch what God will do. That's important. And if, if, you don't, if you don't have the grace for somebody, if you just don't have the grace for them, I would encourage you, got to sit at Jesus' feet until you do. Sit at the feet of Jesus until you do. In our mind or replaying things, it's hard to have grace. But when you sit at Jesus' feet, there's all kinds of amazing things he does in these hearts. Amazing things. Amazing things. And the story is full of hearts that are transformed here this morning. We all have stories of how we once were. We were blind, but now we see. We all have stories of how this heart was. And it's not perfect, but it's moving forward because God's doing a work. He does, in fact, say that he takes away a heart of flesh and heart of stone, excuse me, and gives us a heart of flesh. We see that with people throughout our, not only our story, but in the Bible, even Saul and other people, God taking away a heart of stone, rigid and tough, and God going, let me, let me help you feel again. Let me help you sense what love is again. Let me help you appreciate mercy and grace so you can have some joy in your life. That's the Lord taking away a heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh because a heart of stone stopped feeling a long time ago. It stopped having love and compassion for people a long time time ago, maybe through the hard knocks of life and the speed bumps and everything else. Nevertheless, God says, I'll take that away from you. If you will let me, I'll take away the heart of stone and I'll give you this this heart of flesh. And so if you don't have grace for people, sit at Jesus' feet until you do. That's the third point. Ask God to give you the grace for people or that person. Say, God, would you give me the grace for them? I don't have it. Can you give me the grace for them? And God will give you grace for people. 
Why? Because he loves them. And we're all his children, specifically with the family of believers here. He will give you grace for people to either forgive them, to love them, to, um, you know, he's the God of second chances. And, and the fourth, fourth one is this, and I said this before, but it's fitting for today, that our ability to forbear, our ability, your ability and my ability to put up with and to come under the load and, and to even suffer because of people, our ability to do that, our forbear ability will determine our usability in God's kingdom. If you and I can't suffer, if we can't endure, if we can't take on, because we have no tolerance or no place for that with people, you might as well consider yourself ineligible to be used for the living God. I know that's a pretty broad statement, but it's true. And the reason it's true is that the Spirit of God is trying to conform us into the image of Jesus. Do you realize that? He's trying to shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus. We've said yes to Jesus. We start following Jesus. But this heart starts to get formed and transformed. Just like he's the potter and we're the clay. He's trying to shape and he's trying to mold us. And we're not who we used to be, but we're not who we're going to be yet. And he's transforming and he's shaping us. And when he's doing that, if our heart is hard, then God can't shape us. And God's not going to force us. He says, when you're ready for me to work with your heart, I would love to. I would love to take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and work with you. But if we can't do that, don't expect God to show up in power in your life and do radical things when you have a hard heart. Everyone in the Bible he got a hold of, the first thing he had to come to terms with is the condition of the soil right here, the condition of this heart. And the Bible talks about the seed of God and what God wants to do and what he wants to grow, but when the soil is hard, Nothing takes root, amen? This is the way it works. The condition of our heart is key. So your forebear ability will determine your usability. Um, And I really do believe we become useless for God if that's the case because only a pliable heart can be conformed and shaped and molded. Um, Chuck Smith used to say all the time, uh, blessed are the flexible for they will not break. Um, To have that flexibility in life and, and that shapeability so God can mold us rather than know I'm not going to budge. Does that make sense? That's key. Um, I just want to close on a few last things if the worship team would come up. Um, You know, guys, all relationships get tested over time. All relationships get tested under pressure. Imagine yourself working as a cook in a kitchen. And if you get there early and you're making the sauces or you're preparing, you might be, you know, listening to some music, whistling, walking around doing it. But when everyone's coming in for dinner and that place is mobbed and there's waiters flying in and out and people grabbing stuff, there's people hitting each other, there's stuff spilling, right? What are you going to do under that? Relationships get tested under pressure and through time. And our forbearability will determine our usability. And so here's the last couple of things I'd I'd encourage you to to, to hold on to and take to heart. Um, When things come up, a couple more things. Ask God for his solution. Ask God for his solution. You might think, well, here's where I'm at and this is where they're at. Or Ask God for his solution. Father, <laughs> we're your children. What's your solution, Father? What's your solution? That's a great place to ask. And the other one is to choose, always choose humility over pride. Choose humility over pride. I know that's easier said than done, but I'll just tell you, this is an area uh, where things will get pretty tense, uh, Pretty, pretty quickly. You've got to beware of pride. Uh, someone once wisely stated, uh, once we are more concerned with our reputation than we are about our character, 
There is no end to the things we will do to make ourselves look good before others. Once we're more concerned about our reputation than we are our character, there's no end to what we'll do to make ourselves look good before others. Does that make sense? Character has to exceed. God will work the rest out. Character has got to exceed. Um, So once again, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Um, The last things I want to say is as the devil tries to divide, Romans 16, 17 warns us to avoid anyone that causes divisions. If you're in the workplace and you got someone going, hey, yeah, well, guess what? No, 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 no. If you become a green light person for them to come to, because you entertain that and you hang out with them on that, guess what? They're going to keep coming back with more and more and maybe even more people. Why? Because you gave them the green light. You can come with division to me. That's what you're doing. The same can happen in the church. Romans 16, 17 warns us, avoid those who cause divisions. The Spirit of God says, I want a bond of peace in the Holy Spirit. It's the devil that divides. And I think this can happen unknowingly. So we've got to be careful. Um, the last thing I want to share is Jesus' prayer. I want you to think about this as we close. Jesus came with the mission. His mission was the cross. He knows he's about to go to the cross to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And it's about to happen in a few hours. This is his last prayer. It's his last recorded prayer in scripture. It matters a lot what he says. The red letters of Jesus at this point in the passage of John 17, verse 22 and 23. He's crying out to the Father. He's like, God, Father, this is my last prayer for the people I love. And would you please help them see this through? And I love what he says. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, what? Complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying the way the world is gonna know that God is alive and he's true and he is the way, the truth, and the life, the way the world's gonna know is not our fancy programs and all kinds of promotional things or banners or anything. The way the world is gonna know, according to Jesus the Christ, the resurrected one, is through a united church. Through their unity, Father, if our children, the Father looking down, if the children can get along, the world will know. That's the heart of the Father. Jesus is praying this prayer because he knows there's so much hinging on a united united church. And so in closing, we're going to close in prayer right now. But as we're contending for revival, ask God in your own life, in your own heart, where can you be a better peacemaker? Where can you be a better peacekeeper? Um, Where can you um, learn how or ask God to give you grace for people to have the forbearance that we need in these relationships that are tested over time when there's clashes or dings or disruptions or disagreement, ask God what your part is in that so that you can come out on the other side as a peacemaker. Because I'll tell you something, in life, God gives us these tests. And if we can't get this down, he's gonna be giving you this pop quiz. Sometimes the pop is on your head. Pop, and you've been quizzed. God giving you a pop quiz over and over and over again until we learn how to love the family. Does that make sense? As we're growing in Christ, until we, as we learn how to have forbearance. God's like, when are you going to learn? I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you, but you got to work with me on this. Don't harden your heart. 
Ask me, sit at my feet. I'll give you the grace for people. And so this is really key. I just want to close in prayer right now, but I'd, I'd ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Mighty God, we just come before you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Um, Lord, I just pray that um, we would be people that make straight paths for you. And I pray in this area, God, of forbearance and, and, and keeping the, the unity uh, in the spirit through the bond of peace, Lord God, you say it's a big deal. I pray that we would say it's a big deal. I pray that we'd guard our words and be careful of, of, of divisive things, that we don't en- entertain divisive things, that we would walk higher, not as children, uh, but as, as mature sons and daughters of the Most High God. I pray we would live like a family, uh, your family. You're a God of love. You want a united bride. You say every tribe, tongue, and nation, God. You call us a people. Once we were not, but now we are through what you did. I thank you for that. What a love that you have lavished on us that we might be called sons and daughters of God. I pray, God, that we would walk in that as a family of believers, that we would have the right family relations, God, that we would walk as people pleasing to you so that you can show up in power and that we wouldn't do anything to hinder uh, moves of your spirit. God, seal that in our heart this morning, God. I also just want to pray, Lord God, I believe this area, God, is an area where many of us in this room have had chips and dings and bruises of these hearts along the way, where these hearts do get hardened, uh, where these hearts, when they do get hurt, they kind of petrify and turn into a rock. I just want to pray, Lord, for the hearts uh, in this room, Lord God. Uh, The first one you say, the most important, you say, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And as you knock at the heart, you're saying, if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and everything begins there. There is no life with you on the outside. There is only life with you on the inside. So I just want to pray this morning as you're knocking on hearts. If anyone, if you, everyone's eyes closed and head bow, if you sense God knocking on your heart uh, to let him in this morning, would you just raise your hand? I just want to agree with you in prayer. Anybody sensing the call of God? Amen. Lord's pleased with you. Anybody else this morning senses God saying, I want to come in. I need to come in. I want to come in. Well, hallelujah. Well, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for the willingness to say, come in Jesus. We don't have it down, but you do. We're not perfect. No one is, but you are. We could never even pay the price, but you paid it all. We can't earn it or buy it or anything. And you said, I did it for free for you because I love you. And I just praise you, God, for the price you paid. And Lord, for those who raise their hand, Lord, just in the privacy of their heart, Lord, to agree with you in prayer. That, Lord Jesus, I turn and follow you, take away my sins. I want to put you on the throne as the king, the Lord of my life. Thank you for coming into my heart. Take away hardness, chips and dings and bruises. Create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit in me, God. But from this day forward, I turn, I follow you, I walk with you. And knowing, God, you will give me grace for others. You will give me forbearance for others. And you'll help me represent you good. I thank you for that, God. And we ask these things in in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.